Good morning to our Alma campus. Uh, miss being with you today. And as well to those of you who are worshiping with us online. In fact, uh, just a reminder, about half of the church right now is gathered with us numerically online. And so hope that you feel connected, know that you are loved. Uh, we are so glad to be uh, worshiping together, and I am honored to be here preaching. Uh, now, a couple quick things I want to hit before we jump into the message. The first is, yesterday was our first ever trunk or treat as a church. Uh, and get this, our estimates are anywhere from two to two and a half thousand people came through at both campuses, which I just think is absolutely incredible. And so maybe if you're watching right now or you're here in the room because of that event, uh, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, and thank you, church, to those of you who decorated trunks, those of you who donated candy. I don't know how there could be any candy left in any of the stores, uh, but thanks for uh, us being able to roll out the red carpet uh, for our communities in Alma as well as in Mount Pleasant. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to mention, uh, this Tuesday is a really big day. It is National Sandwich Day. Interestingly enough, grab a sandwich on your way to Election Day. It is Election Day. And anytime we as, uh, as Americans uh, get a chance to be able to be part of that process, uh, as people of faith, as followers of Christ, those are days not only where we should go out and vote, uh, but also days where we should be praying for our leaders, um, those we agree with and those we don't necessarily uh, agree with, but be praying for our leaders that are here. And so we want to take a moment here at the start of this service to be praying for that. Um, and also, I just wanted to give a reminder, because I've been reminding myself of this, Regardless of the results of any election, God is still in control, and God is still on his throne, and he's still good, and that is an amazing promise that we have, that regardless of any election, that, that our God is, uh, is still seated on high. Uh, but let's pray, because we're going to be praying for uh, this next week. Would you bow your heads? And so, Father, we do right now, um, we pray for this election that's coming up. Uh, God, we pray that you would have your way. God, that you'd be speaking and working through your people in a, in a manner that uh, causes us to, you know, be able to be thankful the fact that we can worship and gather and worship you without fear in this country. God, in Romans 13, it says that you establish authorities, and so we also pray for those that are in leadership over us and those that will be elected into leadership. May they hear your voice. God, may those who know you cling to you, God. May you be counseling them and uh, making their decisions wise that that would affect us positively. And Father, our prayer is that here uh, in this church, God, in this community, in this nation, that you would continually be speaking to and leading your people. And Father, we just say nothing, nothing else we want to hear and receive from you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I was 18 years old, and there was a moment that I had been looking forward to for four years in my high school youth group, uh, we had a tradition where the seniors would line up at the front of the stage and they would share uh, with the underclassmen, you know, the huge amount of wisdom that you gain uh, leading up to that age. And I, it was finally my turn, uh, and I get up there, I stand up to the mic, uh, and I get choked up, which some of you are not surprised by that at all. But in this moment, I, uh, I just am completely, uh, this short speech that I had prepared wouldn't come out, and I actually began to cry. Now, on staff, I'm affectionately known as Weepy Aaron, which uh, I, I say it's affectionate. I hope it's affectionate. Uh, no, because I'm known, my, my friend Jeff says that anytime Aaron talks about Jesus or the gospel, he's going to get choked up. 
But 18-year-old Aaron was anything but comfortable sharing his emotions on stage. And so in that moment, I remember standing there, and I was just absolutely mortified. And so what was happening? Uh, In that moment, the Spirit of God was convicting me. As an 18-year-old young man, I had gotten up to share up what God had put on my heart, uh, and my heart in that moment was absolutely broken. You see, at that moment, I thought, as a senior in high school, that I had this book all figured out. Uh, In fact, when I was pretty little, my parents enrolled me in junior Bible quizzing, and so there were huge chunks of scripture that I had memorized, and uh, I remember in sixth grade, it was actually the first time that I read through the Bible from cover to cover, which is pretty rare, I think, for a sixth grader. I remember sitting on the bus, uh, you know, not not being nervous about what people thought about me, Uh, but I had gotten to the point where I thought, I know what's in there. I don't really need to read it. And consequently, that line of thinking, I had neglected the gift that this book is, the best method that we have to know and hear from God. The Bible is so much more than just a good book. And I remember vividly in that season of my life, God speaking so clearly to me and saying, uh, just this realization that men and women so much older and wiser than me had spent every day studying this book. They had spent their entire lives reading this book, and they still got new insights from it. And meanwhile, at that point in my life, I had put God's word on a shelf and effectively diluted it of its power in my life. This is the last week in a series that we've called Undiluted, and we have a tendency to want to add to what it is that God has done for us. And the result is that either intentionally or unintentionally, uh, we can dilute what it is that he has done. We talked about the first week, an undiluted Jesus, that Jesus is the only means by which we are saved. We talked about undiluted grace, that grace is this amazing gift, and it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, God chooses to give grace to us. And then last week, we talked about an undiluted faith. That our faith should be in this this sense of saying, God, your goodness, I'm going to proclaim it, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to hold to it all my life. And there should be this simple idea that each of these are foundational. There's no need to add to these. We as a people of God want to hold to an undiluted gospel message. And today, I get to preach and finish this series by looking at the undiluted word of God. But before we start, I want to start with a single question. What has the most influence on the decisions that you make? Think honestly, what has the most influence on the decisions that you make? Maybe do a little bit of self-examination. What has the most authority in your life when you come to make a decision? When it comes to big questions like the existence of God, or the origins of the universe, or maybe more practically, personal questions, like how should I handle my money, questions about uh, sexuality, uh, how, how we should engage with other people, either in person or maybe even the way that we talk to each other on social media, the way that I think about or process or discuss politics, questions about relationships or the way that I should love my wife and kids. When it comes to questions like these, we need something to give us guidance. And so my question as we begin is, what guides you? 
We live in a culture where the word of God is often low on the priority list of what has the most authority in our decisions. So as we navigate through life, where do you go for direction, for answers? We also live in a world with competing truth claims. In fact, it can sometimes be challenging to figure out what's true and what's false. Our worldview, in fact, shapes the way that we interpret facts that are happening around us. We live in an era where anybody can label something as fake news, where it's hard to separate opinion from facts. And so sitting right where you're at today, whether you're a Christian or not, where do you honestly go for truth? How do we make our way through these competing claims? You know, I think regardless of what that answer is for you, that you need a norm, a standard, a criteria to try to evaluate. And so what is the norm for you? Because you have one. Maybe it's reason or logic. Maybe it's your personal experience. Maybe it's your family or the way that you were brought up. Maybe you yourself are the most subjective sense of how things are in the world. And for some of you, maybe God's word applies sometimes. But most times, if you're dealing with a question in life, do you go to some expert or some book or some friend to see what they have to help your decision? And, and don't get me wrong, there can be truth in those things, but we have so, something so much greater. And I wonder for us as, as Americans here living in central Michigan, do we sometimes put the Bible up on a shelf and what we end up with is a dilution of the power of God's word? So how do you honestly believe the Bible measures up with everything else? There's an organization called Barna which does a study of all Americans. And one of their primary studies they do every year is this assessment of where are Americans at uh, spiritually this past year, they did this study, and they found that 48% of Americans are completely disengaged with the Bible. And so about half of Americans don't engage with or wouldn't put any trust in the Bible at all. Their study also found that 5% of Americans on the opposite end of the spectrum are Bible-centered, meaning that 5% of Americans interact with the Bible frequently, allowing it to transform their relationships and shape their choices. Now, if you do a little bit of, of figuring out, about 45% of Americans go to church at least once a month. And so what that means is about 12% of those of us who are sitting here in these seats, 12% of those who are attenders of church, live their lives centered on the Bible. I just want to start by saying there's something wrong with that. So I want to begin by saying that God's undiluted word is the measurement by which we as Christians should view the world. That as followers of Jesus, we're not going to ask what makes the most sense to us or what does our culture prefer or what makes us feel good, but rather, as Christians, what does God's word have to say first? And then use that as a lens to try to interpret everything else. So for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, those of you who have surrendered to him, the Bible has the ultimate authority in your life. And it has the ability to lead you, to guide you, to speak to you. You can read through the Gospels and see that Jesus himself submitted himself to God's word. 
He said, I only do what the Father is doing. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus quotes scripture, God's word, to counter the attacks. Uh, Jesus states in the, the Gospels that he is the complete fulfillment of the law, that all of that had been written in the Old Testament prior to his life on earth was written about him and pointed to him. So Jesus, who was the ultimate perfect example of what it means to live a godly life, lived his life on earth wholly dependent on God the Father, in line with this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, had a similar posture when it came to Scripture, uh, and he actually talks about this in the book of of, uh, 2 Timothy. And so if you have a Bible with you, would you open with me to 2 Timothy? Uh, And maybe if you didn't carry a Bible, uh, the YouVersion Bible app, just as a quick reminder, is an easy way to always have the Bible in your pocket. In fact, every Sunday we put up uh, a live event for Community Church And you can take notes in there and find additional discipleship questions. So I encourage you to check that out. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want to stop right here. So Paul is writing to Timothy, um, and uh, for those of you who are parents, uh, or maybe if you're going to be a parent, uh, you know, someday in the future, possibly, or if you have kids in your lives, Timothy, from childhood, is acquainted with God's word. He knew God's word, and Paul is saying that it's God's word that actually makes him wise for salvation, that he has a saving faith as a result of knowing God's word. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, just a couple chapters before this, Paul is talking about Timothy's sincere faith, and he says that that faith was first in his grandmother, and then in his mother, and now it has been passed on to Timothy. There's a reminder here to help your kids get connected to the Bible, not just for an hour in kid life where, you know, they can check that box, or not just through good devotions, keep reading the Bible to your kids, And you may think they're not getting it. I don't know if you've been through maybe an experience like our family where sometimes those devotionals don't go the way you want them to and they're all distracted. Keep reading. It's not wasted time. The scriptures are able to make your kids wise. So keep working at it. This last week, I've been preparing and thinking about this message for quite a while. And uh, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, Sienna, was walking around the house and she was... uh, First, repeating something she had learned in her, uh, her Christian preschool program, um, and it was so sweet that I wanted to share it with you. Let's watch this together. So I know the plan that I have for you, Sister Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11. Just melts your heart. Proverbs 22, 6 says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. You may feel like your kids are going nowhere with it. Don't give up. We don't, uh, you know, in our family, I don't want to say this as someone who gets it right all the time. There's plenty of times where we've gotten this wrong or, we're, you know, where we've fallen out of rhythm, but don't neglect the reading of Scripture to your kids. Encourage your kids to read the Bible at least some Time. Get them acquainted with the scriptures because they are able to lead them to Jesus. 
Because God is already pursuing your kids. But the primary way that God wants to reach your kids is through godly parents. And so read your kids the Bible. Timothy, who's a leader in the church at this time, is leading because of years of being acquainted with the word of God. He continues in verse 16. He says, this is why, because all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Breathed out by God. This is so much more than just a good book. It's more than just ink on a page. The Bible in its entirety was breathed out by God. The Bible is written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors. Some of those authors were scholars, philosophers, kings, historians, and doctors. This book contains history and prophecy, poetry and letters. It was written by people, that's true, but it was wholly inspired by God. Just like Jesus himself was 100% God and 100% human, that's, the Bible says exactly what God intended. And so if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you can trust what's in this book. Nikki Gumbel uh, is a guy who runs an organization called Alpha. Uh, we run Alpha groups here at Community Church regularly. Uh, he had a great way of illustrating this idea. Uh, he points to the building of St. Paul's Cathedral. St. Paul's Cathedral, built in 1710, uh, was uh, the architect for this marvel was a guy by the name of Christopher Wren. However, the cathedral itself was built over a period of 40 years by stonemasons, carpenters, and countless other people. So while all those people were involved in the building, there was one architect. There was one inspiration. It was his design. He saw the finished product while everyone else was working on their parts. This is a similar idea for the Bible. In 2 Peter, it says that God carried men along and the Holy Spirit inspired the words that are in this book. It says exactly what God wanted it to say. This is a powerful idea. In Hebrew, the word for breath that's used here is ruach, which means spirit. The very spirit of God inspired these words to be written for us for a purpose. And that purpose is that we would know God. Scriptures are a revelation so that we can know God. There's a pastor and author that, that I seem to go to a lot. His name is Jeff Vanderstelt, and he said something on this that I absolutely love. He says, it's an act of love to reveal yourself to another. Now, those of you who are married couples, uh, there are parts of myself that my wife knows about uh, that no one else knows about. I'm not just talking about this dad bod I got going up here. Every day for my wife and I uh, is a day of revealing ourselves to each other. Uh, just a, a week or two ago, my wife and I were having a conversation, and uh, it was, it was a, a good, heated conversation. We were kind of talking about different things and, um, and talking through different issues that we were both going through. And later that night, we were laying in bed, and, and, and she was still feeling like maybe she had been too vulnerable. In our conversation, did she reveal too much? That Was it too raw? 
And I remember saying uh, in that moment, no, that's, that's actually what lets me know you. We are constantly revealing more and more of who we are to each other. So hear this, if you're in a relationship, the way that you grow in intimacy is by self-revealing love, by showing yourself, not just physically, but, but showing the real you, the emotions, uh, your, your actions, the, the things that other people don't see. And this is not just true for marriages. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be revealing ourselves to each other. In our community groups, uh, we should be revealing ourselves. In our friendships, we should be saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm struggling with, what my weaknesses are. I want you to know how you can pray for me. Anytime you reveal yourself to someone else, it's an amazing act of trust. It's an amazing act of love. Anyone, anytime someone does that for you, just stand back and say, man, they must really love me. Self-revelation is a huge risk. God in his word is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to love me, and I'm going to reveal myself to you. This is a self-revelation from God to you. Now, the Bible is not primarily about us. The Bible is all about him. In the beginning, in Genesis, the Bible begins with God, that there's nothing and God speaks, and creation comes into existence. The Bible actually ends with this, this new creation and this new earth that God brings in. He makes all things new, and God is at the center of it. Now, it's, the entire book is about him. It's also about God and us, God pursuing his people, God's actions throughout history. But ultimately, it's about him. From creation to Christ's return, God is saying, I want you to know me. You know, God is so beyond our comprehension in his fullness. In fact, we could take eternity. And for those of us who trust him, we'll have that opportunity to try to, to get to know him. And it still wouldn't completely allow us to comprehend or understand him. And yet, he has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word. I was studying for this, and the simple idea that I can know God should make us sit back and go, wow. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to meet somebody famous. Uh, usually if you do, like that's a good thing to bring up in you know, conversations around the dinner table. Uh, when I was a student at CMU, I waited tables at Bennigan's. And CMU would bring in uh, comedians or, you know, musicians, different uh, people that were coming in, and they would take them to the classiest place they knew, Bennigan's. And uh, so I got the chance to actually meet a few famous people while I was over there, and not to, not to name drop or impress you too much, but Bill Nye, the science guy, he came and sat at one of my tables. There were a few comedians, musicians, all sorts of bands that would come through. Uh, and the number one question that people always ask following, you know, an experience like that is, what are they like? You know, it, sometimes you meet someone famous and they can exceed your expectation and they're, they're gracious and wonderful. Uh, sometimes you meet people and you're like, they kind of disappoint what you're expecting. But people always ask, you know, what, what are they like? How, how do they order? Were they nice to you? Were they rude? Uh, you know, what, what did they order off the menu? What are they like? Because they're curious about it. You know, over the last 15 years or so, reality television has absolutely exploded 
um, on TV. You can't get away from it. And I think there's an insatiable curiosity that we have to wonder what people who are famous are like. We get to know what God is like. He has told us everything that we need to know about him in this book. And then it doesn't stop there. Those, for those of you who know Christ, uh, you get to learn. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he makes a dwelling inside you. And you don't just get to know God because of this. The Holy Spirit comes inside us and we get to know God because of this. Because of this. It becomes so much more. And when you come to God's word, the spirit of God that breathed this into existence is inspiring you. So you get to have an encounter with God. The living God speaks to you through his word. What an amazing gift. In light of that, how do we position the word of God in our lives? Think back to our question earlier. Do we give it the ultimate authority in our decisions? Do we trust it? Or if you're honest, do you sometimes feel like this? I'm over it. There's parts I like. Some I don't like. There's some that's confusing, and I just, you know, I won't read those parts. If this is the ultimate inspired word of God, as the people of God, we should submit our lives to it. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't also discern what it says. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't study and grow in our knowledge. In fact, there are passages in this book that I have way more understanding of now than I did when I was 18. But the word of God should be a starting point because God has given it to us. How amazing that God has chosen to reveal to us what he's like, what he's done. So the next time you open the Bible, say, breathe on me, breath of God. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. I'm in awe that the creator of the universe would make himself accessible, that the creator of the universe would make himself known, that the creator of the universe would want to know me. I want to state that we as a church, we stand on the undiluted word. Saying that, God, if you cared enough to make yourself known through this, then we're going to submit ourselves to your undiluted word. We're going to submit to what it is that you've done to us. We're going to submit to what it is that you say of us. We're going to submit to what it is you say that we should do in response. And when you do that, 2 Timothy says in the Bible that the Bible is profitable for teaching, correcting, and training, that God's word will do something to us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now think about that. Now maybe, maybe you don't want that. You don't want the sword piercing. You don't want parts of you to be exposed. Say, God, I'll go to church, and I like that whole heaven thing, but I'm going to keep this part of me to myself. I'm not going to let people see that part of me. And what was the sign of love that we just talked about a few minutes ago? Revealing ourselves. God wants to reveal himself through the word, and then he wants to reveal the real us through his word. He wants to reveal the brokenness that's inside of us so that we can be exposed. And get this, God doesn't want to just expose your need for him or expose your brokenness and leave you there. 
He wants to expose you so that he can correct you and lead you on a better path. He wants to expose you so that we can ultimately see our need for him. He wants to redirect your life into a way that is everlasting. But maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't want God to reveal those areas of my life that are broken. If I'm honest, maybe I want to stay where I'm at. I prefer not to have my eyes opened to the ways that I messed up. And here's my question. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God wants good for you? That God wants to rescue you? Because if your answer is yes, God is not against you. God is for you, and he is good, and he wants what's good for you. He wants to take you from that place and say, I'm going to make something better for you. That is the gift of his calling for us as disciples. That God wants to speak to you through his word. Imagine going through your entire life, knowing that the almighty, unfathomable creator of the universe wants nothing more than to speak to you. And for you, never taking the chance to listen. Imagine sitting in these seats each week, going your entire life and never leaning in, never going there. What a loss that would be. So next time you go to the Bible, open it up and think, this is God's word. This is your word. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I want to hear from you. Would you expose the hiddenness of my life that I don't want others to see? And here's the thing. He will. He will. There's power in the word of God. We can have incredible worship. We can have great preaching. We can have a great kids ministry in a comfortable space. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But we can sometimes think, think that those are the things that actually make us effective or those are the things that actually have power instead of the word of God. And I'm here to say if you stripped all of it back and you did nothing but read the word of God, it would be enough. It is that powerful. If you give him an opportunity, God will reveal himself to you. God wants to have a relationship with you through his word. He wants to speak to you through his word. You know, there are a few ways that God has revealed himself to man. Uh, the first category that we can point to is something called general revelation. That all around us, creation screams of a creator so that none of us are without excuse. All the reason to know that there's a God exists in creation. Sometimes you see a sunset. Last month, my wife and I were driving north and just looking at the leaves changing. You see a mountain range, and something inside of us just screams that there's got to be a creator for all of this, that we're made to worship him through what he created. There's also a type of revelation called special revelation. And God is saying, not only am I going to show you what I'm like through creation, I'm going to tell you what I'm like through the Bible. I don't want you to miss who I am. My word is going to tell you what I'm like. I'm going to show you what I'm like through my word. There's actually a third revelation. The best revelation, the fullest revelation of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. 
John says that the word became flesh, that this became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. This word tells us about the word, Jesus Christ. The Bible has the power to reveal areas of our lives that are contrary to what God would want for us. So as we read it, the Holy Spirit convicts us and when we're living other than what God desires. And ultimately, we're led to a need for Jesus. The purpose of God's revelation of this word is to lead us to Christ. So I read this and I realize that I need Jesus. I read this and I realize that I fall so short of the glory of God. Jesus at the cross exchanged his perfect obedience to this word for my disobedience. In the Bible, we call this disobedience sin. I'm made righteous not because of anything that I'm able to do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. The price is paid in full. Jesus promised in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. You know, if you try to read this and it doesn't take you to Jesus, you're going to read it and think, man, I can't do this on my own. There are a million ways that I fall short. And you know what? You're actually you're not supposed to do it on your own. We need a Savior. And that Savior has already come and his name is Jesus. And so when I go to the Word and parts of my life are exposed and I feel convicted, I don't feel guilty, I don't feel shame, but I receive that grace that we talked a couple weeks ago, what I read is that I really need Jesus. And I feel like I need him more today than I did when I was 18. We don't stop with the written Word because the written Word leads me to the living Word. God wants to lead you to the fullest expression of himself. God wants to lead you to Jesus through his word. And we submit to this ultimately because it leads us to him. I was going through seminary. I remember I had this revelation of seeing this entire book from cover to cover as a love story. As, as a God who wants nothing more than to be with us, to reveal himself to us. They saying he'll go to any length to make us right with him. Everything in here leads us back to the cross. It's not only a measurement on how we should engage our lives or an authority to govern our decisions or a way to help answer the questions we talked about at the beginning. This book is a love story about a way into a relationship with God. And so what do we do? Over the course of the series, we've talked about Jesus and grace and faith. And the reason that we know about those things is because of this book. So I want to give you a challenge as we get ready to close today. Uh, a three-step action plan, especially if you feel like maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging you or moving you. Or maybe you can relate to that sense of saying, maybe I've put my trust in things other than what God would say to me. And the first step is this. Would you this week set an appointment with God? Uh, my wife is incredibly disciplined. She's great about getting stuff done on the to-do list. If I don't put something on my calendar, it does not happen. I don't know if you're like me. Would you actually, on your calendar, write in, I'm going to spend time with God. And if that's completely new for you, maybe that's something where you start, I'm going to do at least once this week, uh, connect with God. 
If that's something maybe you need to get back into the action of, would you say maybe every day at this time, I'm going to put in my calendar a non-negotiable appointment with God. And then here's this, number two, would you read God's word? You know, sometimes in those moments, we can go to a devotion, we can go to a book, we can read someone else's thoughts about God. Would you spend time just reading God's word? If you don't have a Bible, stop by the info center. Actually, didn't clear this with our budget team, but if, uh, if you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Um, or the YouVersion Bible app, again, is a free way to have the Bible with you everywhere you go. If you don't know where to start, start with the book of John. And just start reading at John chapter 1 and read a little bit each day. And then finally, don't just read it to check a box off. Would you listen? Would you read God's word and say, Holy Spirit, you breathe this into existence. Would you breathe into me what it is that you want to say to me? I want to know you. I believe that you are good. God, would you speak to me through your word? And I can promise you, God is going to be honored in that and he's going to respond. God wants to speak to you not just through Pastor Aaron, Pastor Allen, or Pastor Wally. God wants to speak to you through his word. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the gift that this book is to us. God, that you would want to make yourself known to us. God, I pray that we would hold to what it is that you say uh, through your word to us, God. Would you give us a humility uh, to listen for what it is that you are saying and what it is that you want to do. And Father, for anyone in this room who maybe is feeling a stirring of saying, man, I feel like I have maybe put this book on a shelf either metaphorically or literally. God, would you move in our hearts? Would you give us a hunger for your word? Would you make us desire this more than anything else? God, we are so grateful for the fact that you lead us faithfully, that you don't leave us in our messes. I just want to thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next week kicks off uh, actually a really exciting three-week series for us. A year ago, about a year ago, we kicked off a series called Advance, which was a two-year journey together. Whether you are brand new to the church or if you were around for that period of time, uh, you're not going to want to miss a single week. Uh, this is mission critical. We believe that we've heard from the Lord for some of these things that are out there. And so whether you're watching online or you're gathered in person, uh, engage with us for this series. And to give you a little taste of what's to come, uh, would you watch this with me? Together on Purpose. That vision may never have been more important than it has been throughout 2020. For Community Church, our commitment to advance the gospel never took a break or a pause. Through your generosity and commitment to the God-sized vision of advance, together we launched a campus, funded ministry, provided support, and most importantly, embraced opportunities to share the message of hope we have in Jesus in familiar and creative ways. We are not spiritual spectators. We're spiritual contributors. We are convinced that every follower of Christ is called to serve our Savior. God is calling us to live together on purpose, empowered by His Spirit. So don't let up. Don't slow down. Let's continue to press on to keep taking ground for the kingdom and advance. And so next week actually kicks off with a huge celebration. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. Watch the screens for dismissal.